Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 45, Facing Your Demons, Fearing the Pinnacle, and Painting Eggs with Sarah Marie Lacey. So welcome back. I'm glad you joined me again this week. I hope you're doing well. Painting and drawing, I hope you're doing all of that, or maybe even thinking about it, which goes a long way. So I received a bunch of email from a lot of listeners over the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to thank all of you for that. It feels so good to kind of hear the impact of the podcast on your day and on your journey. And I'm so thankful that so many of you have shared your work with me, especially for those just starting out. It can be very challenging to take this special thing you've created and share it with someone else, whether it's in person or online. So I really thank you for doing that. I read uh, and respond to every single email. Got a couple more to get to, and so I'll be sending those out in the next couple of days. So uh, be patient. I will get back to replying and commenting on your work. I just think it's it's wonderful to hear those these people that are inspired to create. Uh, some haven't done it in years, and uh, a couple of you are really quite young and taking on uh, drawing and painting, and I just think it's awesome. So if you do want to reach out and share your work with me, you don't want to post it on social media, you can. There's a form available at drawinginspiration.fm as well as mikehenley.com, and those uh, submissions come directly to me. I am the only person on my team, (laughs) so be assured that whatever you send uh, will come directly to me. It doesn't support uploads, but if you send me just a a brief note, I'll reply to you, and then you can send the uh, pieces of work that you're working on. I'll take a look and provide additional comments if you want them, and... (laughs) Then we can uh, start a conversation that way, and you can always uh, join us in Discord too, and that link's available through my website as well. So I'm going to just talk about a few things. It's been a very busy few weeks for me, so I haven't been creating a whole lot that I've been sharing. I have been working a lot with uh, colored pencils, and I've just started a dinosaur. I haven't drawn a dinosaur since I did one for my daughter when I was uh, home with her and when she was quite young. So I saw this post about dinosaurs on Instagram, and I thought, oh, I should draw a dinosaur. I haven't done one in a while. So I'm going to be doing that over the next few days. So this interview with uh, Sarah Marie Lacey was so much fun. And so we'll get to that really quickly here. I just wanted to touch on a few things that I've been uh, working on for the last few weeks. So the big news since the last podcast is that my online shop is officially open. So I've been working on this for a while, and I think I may do a future podcast on it just to talk about what's involved for those of you who are thinking about commercializing your hobby, or at least you know selling a few of your prints or originals. I'll just talk about my journey, uh, some of the, the roadblocks, some of the challenges, and share that with you. But I think I'll do that in a future episode. All that to say, it's been a lot of work, uh, not a lot of creating, but a lot of work. And I'm not done yet. So I'm kind of dipping my toe in this. I think I have things in place to manage producing and sending out all these prints. I do have a plan to scale up if I have any huge level of success. uh, I do have uh, plans available for that, which I think is always important as artists. So a lot of the work involved is, is more you know, scanning the image and then cleaning it up and printing it and printing it and printing it. So some of these images I've spent three or four hours on just cleaning them up and getting the print sorted out. And I wasn't expecting, I think, that much time, but I just, you know, this is part of, I think, being a perfectionist is getting those prints to look just like the original. And so these are open edition prints. 
that I have available now. There's no limited edition. There's no originals, but those will be coming soon. And, you know, once again, I'm probably too fixated on kind of the details and the conversations in my head about (laughs) uh, getting this exactly right, even down to how I title and sign prints has kept me up at night. Like, do I do it with pencil? Do I do it with pen? Where do I put it? What do I put in the date? What is my signature? It must be different than my my normal signature that I would put on a check. So I guess we don't really use checks anymore, do we? <laughs> but all that to say, there's a lot of, you know, sort of beyond kind of sorting out the printing, there's the, how do I cut the paper? What paper cutter should I get? How do I trim it? What size? Currently, I have five by seven prints available. I do intend to go eight by 10 and larger at some point. But I'm not going to go larger than the piece itself. So a lot of the prints I'm making available now are small. I drew them as 5 by 7s and so that's how I'm printing them. And dealing with things like shipping materials. I live in Canada, and the materials, I'm always you know concerned about ensuring the prints get there in good shape. But the other bit I'm thinking about is, how do I do it effectively and efficiently and at a low cost? So a lot of them I'm just sending out as letter mail because I can do that. I do provide the option to have a faster schedule if you want to get it sooner. But letter mail makes the most sense. I think there's free shipping in Canada, and then I think it's uh, $5 for the U.S. So anyways, it's been fun. I'll talk about this more in a future podcast. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. All this to say that it's a lot more work than I thought in kind of putting this all together, but uh, it was fun. I do want to share a funny story. So I talked about this in the previous podcast. And so what I've done is I've integrated the... I use Shopify... That's my storefront now. I may use Etsy in the future, but I chose Shopify. And anyways, you can integrate Shopify with your Facebook page if you have one or with Instagram. And so I did that and I was putting things together and I drew this toad last year. So that's one of the prints that's available and it's called uh, Toad You So. And I had put it up in my Shopify store and then I integrated it with Facebook and Facebook has to approve, I guess, these products for display on your Facebook page, and they rejected my uh, toad. Now, instead of I told you so, I called it I wart you. (laughs) And for some reason, I was rejected because I had a policy violation. And so this is what they said. Listings may not promote medical and healthcare products and services, including medical devices or smoking cessation products containing nicotine. (laughs) So honestly, it's a drawing of toad that I did and I got rejected. And I think it's because maybe I used the word wart in the title. So I changed the title and argued with them. I didn't argue. I I said, you know, this is ridiculous. It's a print and they let it through finally. But I thought that was so funny that maybe their AI is lacking a bit on the eye. So it's good that they have this kind of system in place. So that kind of made me laugh. I thought I'd share that with you. So if you want to check out the shop, uh, you can go to shop.mikehendley.com. And since you're a listener of the show, I'm offering a 20% discount on any purchase. And this will be till the end of February, so a bit over a month. And once again, it's 20% on anything that you purchase. And to do that, you need to use a code. And the code is GRANDOPENING. No spaces, lowercase. Just use the code, discount code GRANDOPENING at the checkout. And that'll give you 20% off your purchase. So thank you. This is a huge step for me to get from where I was to a point where I've actually opened up an online shop. This is something I've, I'm just, as I say, dipping my toe in right now. I've had a few people request some of the prints and I've actually sold some already (laughs) in advance of announcing the site is live. 
And I just wanted to thank you for listening and thank you for being here. This isn't going to become a podcast about my shop, but this is part of my journey and that's what the podcast is about. So I just thought I'd share this step along the way. So the other big thing that I'm doing in this week, which is the last week of January, is I'm launching my newsletter. I intended to do this a month ago, but I I just wasn't ready with the shop and I wanted to have the shop operational. So I'll be launching it on January 29th. Uh, The newsletter is called Drawing Connections. And I'm going to kind of pull everything I'm working on into this newsletter, hence the name. In the newsletter, I'll cover some of the recent podcasts I've done, things I've discovered, interesting tidbits from around the internet. I'll talk about some new products as I uh, add them to my shop. I'll talk about tools I'm using. And I'll give you a sneak peek into some of the new projects I'm planning and, and that I'm working on. So I also plan on doing some longer form writing. And so these are kind of larger articles, larger pieces. I will be uh, launching those first through the newsletter. So I'll post them to my site and link them from the newsletter. So you'll be able to get some insight into some of those. And they're going to be all over the place, but it's going to always be around creativity, around art. So I hope you're going to enjoy some of those. You can subscribe to this newsletter via the sites I mentioned earlier and through my shop. Uh, It's all the same newsletter, so you can just go to the website for the podcast or mikehenley.com and just subscribe, and you will get the first newsletter, which comes out Friday. And in that, I will also include the code for the uh, 20% discount. So one last thing is I received some new tools from a company called Elegant Utility this week. Uh, I got another pencil extender. So this is a brass uh, kind of pencil extender that you put a, a colored pencil in. And the reason I got this one is it supports the larger size of the Faber-Castell polychromos pencils. I had a, I have another one that I've used for some of my just standard wood pencils, but it didn't accommodate the size, the larger size of the Faber-Castell. So I bought this larger one and it's perfect. And if you haven't seen their stuff, check out their site. I'll include a link in the show notes to their Etsy site. And they make these beautiful pencil extenders out of brass. So these are wonderful. These pencil extenders will outlast me. And uh, they just, it feels so nice drawing with them. And it what it does is it's able to kind of support this pencil, especially with the colored pencil. My white was getting quite short. And so I wanted something to kind of have a bit of length on it. This larger pencil extender will provide that. And I also got the dual pencil extender which allows you to take two pencils and put them into it from both ends so that you could have, for example, a 4B and a and a 2H or whatever the case on the same in the same holder and you can just switch from end to end, which I think is kind of fun as well. So I'll provide a link to them. You can check them out. They are not sponsoring this. Uh, I did pay for this, uh, these two extenders myself. And so I just wanted to be uh, forward with you with that. If I ever receive a sponsored uh, product, I will talk about that. But in this case, uh, I just think they're, they make interesting pencil extenders. They're not cheap, but they feel just wonderful. So uh, if you're interested, check them out. Link in the show notes. So that's all I have for updates. Now we'll get into this interview with Sarah Marie Lacey. I want you to sit back, get comfortable, and listen to this wonderful artist, teacher, and draftswoman. She is incredible. She has a wonderful story, and I'm sure you're going to be inspired at the end. So stick around, and here is the interview. I discovered this week's guest a few months ago and was immediately drawn into her world of portraiture. The more I dug, the more I realized this was an artist and teacher with amazing talent, and I had to ask her to join me on the podcast. From her recent egg paintings, which I found way more captivating than I thought I would, to her portraits capturing the soul of the human form, she has an interesting style and history 
that I'm anxious to explore. To talk about her creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Sarah Marie Lacey. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I was we were commenting just before I started recording that, you know, I comb kind of Instagram and Facebook and the web looking for other artists and inspiration. And I don't know if it's the Instagram algorithm just being really clever, but I found you at some point and I was like, this is really interesting stuff. I started following you and then I came back to it with, I think, some of your egg work, <laughs> your egg paintings. <laughs> I don't remember. And then I started following your journey and seeing what I could find online. And then I realized we're probably 25 minutes from one another. And I just, it blew my mind that, you know, sometimes the people that you need to talk to most, the artists that uh, will inspire you, are in your neighborhood. And I just think that that's so cool. Yeah, I, I always love that. I love finding that someone is, you know, I, I fall in love with their work and then realize like, oh, they're just, they're just down the street, Re- really, especially like speaking within Canada, like 25 minutes is spitting distance, right? So. <laughs> exactly. It's a yes. long walk with a couple of apples. That's yeah, it. Ex- like it's- <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's just a long snack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love being able to connect to other artists locally. Like, it's great to have this sort of ability to con- connect globally. But to meet people that you could also, you know, when it's not a pandemic, go for coffee with is also kind of an exciting thing. Right. And so for someone who hasn't heard the podcast before, I'm out of Ottawa. So are you. I'm in yes. Carp, but it's it's all the same city. Ottawa-ish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How do you like it here from an artist perspective? What do you think of Ottawa with regard to the arts community? I do like it. So I've lived here six years now, just over six years. Uh, I'm not from Ottawa originally. And I came here because I realized how much, I noticed how much life drawing there was. And that was something that was really important to me as an artist. And, and Ottawa is one of those funny cities where there's so much happening like under the surface. Not a lot gets posted online necessarily. Like you can't just like Google to find things, but then you start to meet people and you discover like, it just goes way down. And I really, I really like that. There's a lot of artists here. I think that we have some of the highest artists per capita in Canada. Huh. I read that statistic somewhere. So it's, yeah, I, I like it. It's been very welcoming for sure. The artists here have been very welcoming. Yes. I've spent a lot of time in uh, Toronto and Montreal and uh, maybe less time in Toronto, a lot of time in Montreal. And okay. I do like, always like coming back to Ottawa. It's exactly the right mix for me. Yeah. We're glad to have you here to bump up our artist average. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I can't guarantee I'll be here forever. I'm slightly nomadic at heart, but for now, I'm, okay. I'm hanging out. <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be good when this pandemic, because we're in a second lockdown now. Yes. So it'll be good, uh, maybe at some point, for us to meet in person. It's uh, it's it's challenging not having the the human contact. We can get into that a little bit later, as that applies to someone who does portraits, right? Right. Yes. Yes. I started the podcast because I wanted to become a better artist and I wanted to reach out and share my conversations with other people who are in the same uh, position. And for me being late in life to coming to art, even though when I was five, I wrote in this little book that I wanted to be an artist. I had to write it in because the only male options were like doctor and fireman. I mean, I'm coming from a generation where if you were a girl, your options were nurse or teacher. But I wrote in artist. I never really circled back to it until, you know, a few years ago in my late 40s. 
But but having said that, I always find it interesting to find out where people come from and, and what sparked them and when it sparked for them. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, when did this artist journey start for you? Did it, was it university? Did it go back to high school? Because I've heard you talk about this before, but I just, I found it really interesting, your journey to where you are now as an artist, a successful artist. Yeah. So it started for me in high school, um, but it came together in sort of an unconventional way, I guess. My path has not been sort of the path of everybody. I always drew when I was a kid. I drew a lot, uh, but dance was actually my passion. Um, I was a classically trained ballet dancer. Uh, I got into the National Ballet School. Like, I never went, but I auditioned and did the whole thing. Was dancing, you know, 15 hours a week. And then when I was 12, I got very sick and developed a chronic, chronic illness involving pain and a lot of fatigue and dropped out of school, basically. I was being homeschooled for a long time. And so a lot of my other, the longer I was sick, the sort of lower my chance of full recovery became. And I was sort of watching a lot of my options drop away through my early teens, which is very different than most teenagers. You're kind of watching the world expand normally right. as a teenager and, and realizing all of your options. And I was kind of going, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess I'm not dancing anymore. And like university doesn't seem like a possibility. And what the heck am I going to do with my life? And the options being presented by doctors were not super enticing. A lot of like, well, maybe, you know, you'll just live at home in your parents' basement. And like, you could take some, maybe some nice watercolor classes at the community college if you like really feel up to it. <laughs> not really what you want to be told. No, not the, not the outlook you expect when you're a teenager. Having two yeah. teenage daughters, that would be uh, that would be hard. <laughs> yeah, it was it was challenging, and I can laugh about it now. But it was obviously like pretty heartbreaking um, at the time. Mm-hmm. And art was one of those things that was still accessible to me. That I, you can draw things in bed, and I didn't need to have tons and tons of energy to make things. And you didn't have to have a university degree to sell your art. Right. So I kind of I kind of came back to it. And then there was there was a pivotal moment, though. My dad would go to the library and bring me home art history books. And he brought me home. I don't know if you know who Sister Wendy is. No. (laughs) Okay, so she's Sister Wendy is a delight. She's passed on recently, actually. But she so she's this nun and she had a BBC show about art and she would just she had no art background herself, but she just loved art. And so it was this whole TV show where she'd go from museum to museum, just talking about paintings that she loved. And she has this contagious enthusiasm. And so she ended up writing some books and she wrote this book called 500 Masterpieces of Western Art. And it's like the size of my torso, you know, like it's this massive kind of tomb. And my father brought that home for me. And it was like arranged from A to Z. And I went through that whole book. I was reading everything. And I got to Velasquez. And he's my art hero. But I'd never seen his work before this moment. And I got to that page. And it was, it was the painting of the water cellar of Seville. And it's, he painted it when he was 19. Which is just like completely demoralizing. <laughs> we'll pass over that. <laughs> Um, but it was this stunning, just like really sensitive um, painting of an old man and a young boy. And the young boy's holding a, a water, a wine glass, basically a water glass. And then there's this beautiful jug right in the front. And 
everything just feels so alive and so seen. And I thought, I want to do that for the rest of my life. If I can't do anything else, that, that's it. Huh. And so that was the moment when I kind of like, I made the decision and, and stuck to it and told my parents I was going to be an artist. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> they were a little skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think that would probably still be the case for many people, right? If you said you wanted to be an artist. Like yeah. my dad was an electrician. If I were to tell him in high school I was going to be an artist, he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's funny. What that's are you going to do for your yeah. real job? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, It was sort of like telling people I wanted to be a unicorn. You know, like it was like, that's a nice dream. <laughs> right. But unicorns aren't real and neither are artists. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great that, you know, not that you had kind of that turmoil surrounding you in high school, but th that art gave you kind of a license to live. Like it had given you an opportunity to pull you away from that, right? And move you forward. And I think that's that's fantastic. I think for someone listening who's maybe in a similar situation, because I do have some of the listeners are, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old that listen to this podcast. Right. And to, to hear, and we'll hear the rest of it as well, but to hear that's how it started for you is, you know, it's it's being curious, right? Your whole mm -hmm. life being curious about that book that your dad gave you and finding that image and that propels you forward. I think that's awesome. It's a great story. You. <laughs> so from there, what was your next part of this? Like after seeing that and thinking, ah, I'm an artist, <laughs> I'm going to move forward. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> what, was, <laughs> what was your roadmap? Maybe you didn't have one, but what was your next step? Yeah, there was no roadmap. Um, I'm my whole life is me just making it up as I go along. I can't say that much <laughs> has changed. But I also became really fascinated with the business side of things. I've always had like a entrepreneurial streak. I've worked, I think in total in my life, I have worked for other people 12 weeks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, it didn't really, the second time didn't pan out. I mean, it was fine, but I quit because I was like, you're stupid at running your business. I'm leaving. You're <laughs> um, find something better to do. Um, I've contracted and freelanced to people, but like I have essentially always been like my own boss. But I, so I kind of fell in love with the business side of things. And, and all of my first mentors were actually business people. It was a few years into my career before I met artists that I resonated with. I knew that university wasn't an option. So I was like, okay, I've got to figure out how to do this, <laughs> you know, an alternative route. And I knew that I, I've always really loved classical painting. And I know they don't teach that in university. And because I already had limited energy and limited money, I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to essentially waste that time and energy and money on something that isn't exactly what I want to do. And I think that was the main decision that I made. Like, yes, I'm going to be an artist, but also like I am doing this on my own terms the way I want to do it. And, you know, to heck with the rules. I don't care. So, yes, yeah, so I started teaching myself about business. I had my first solo show at 19 at like a framing store. Wow. I had no idea what I was doing. I <laughs> like just fumbled my way through. And were you painting portraits at that point? I was painting landscapes oh really <laughs> i started i started as like a landscape portrait and still life artist i kind of did all three to begin with right um and where were you at the time i grew up uh in saint Catharines, so near niagara falls ontario okay. um i'm just trying so to I, think about when you walked outside 
like if you were drawing right. landscapes, what were you seeing, right? So, yeah. I have not, I didn't paint a single uh, Ontario landscape. My, <laughs> <laughs> my parents are both from England. Okay. And so every time we went back and we'd go back as regularly as possible, I would just take so many reference photos. There's something about the English landscape, mm -hmm. the, the sea and the sky. That's what really captured me. And I also, at the time, didn't feel like my skill set was up to the sort of portraiture visions that I had in my head. I, I had these things I wanted to make, did not have the skill set to make them, but felt like I could do like a reasonably decent job at landscape. So I, I sort of had this compromise for a bit while I was figuring things out. I mean, there's a tremendous inspiration with, with the British landscape. I think that's, that's kind of cool. I was... I, I've only been to England once, and I remember I was I was I had was in a taxi, and uh, we were out in the countryside, and he's just like, "Do you see that green kind of grass mound over there? That's an old Roman settlement." And it's like, "What? You yeah. mean hills could be settlements?" <laughs> so, and and I see other artists, you know, doing their work and posting it with you know that kind of background. I I would think if I was over there now as a quote unquote artist, the inspiration would be huge. So I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I yeah. just wanted to in inject that. I think it's okay that even though you lived in St. Catharines, your inspiration was across the pond. I think that's cool. Yeah. So I painted, I painted that for a while. And then um, when I was 21, I moved to Prince Edward Island with my partner at the time and then painted some PEI landscapes. So then I started painting Canada because I, it's the ocean. I really love the ocean. So then, right. you know, that inspiration was right there. Lakes just aren't the same. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up next to a giant lake, but it just doesn't behave the same way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would agree. Whereabouts in PI? Like uh, downtown Charlottetown. Okay. Yeah, where we lived. Like I could see the harbor from our front porch. Nice. I mean, yeah. in, in PI, you're not more than an hour away from anything. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah you got to try really hard to get more than thirty minutes from the ocean. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's a. Uh, we were there a few years ago, and we were supposed to go back last summer, but you know, pandemic. Right. But it's it, there is a lot of inspiration there, and the smell of the ocean and the salt, and yeah, yeah. There's something. It's very about different it. than Lake Ontario. It's very, <laughs> very different than Lake Ontario. It has yeah. its charms, but there's something about the ocean, right? Yeah. And so, how long were you there in PEI? I was there for three years, but sort of on and off. So a year, maybe not even a year. Yeah, I, I guess a year after I moved there was when I found the school. I eventually went to. I went to Studio Escalier. I found them online through like an odd series of uh, actually Ottawa connected events. Um, do you know the artist Christy Gordon? No. Okay. So she's, she's from Ottawa and she's actually like quite okay. well known, especially in classical realism. She wouldn't say classical realism, but in the realist figurative world, she's quite well known. She lives in New York City now. Okay. I'd emailed her about advice for something and she'd sent me some advice she got from this guy, this Timothy Stotts guy. And I was like, who is, who is this guy? <laughs> Googled him, found Studio Escalier. And the second I saw the work, I was like, that is what I want to throw my money at. And so then for the next like couple years, I was kind of splitting my time between PEI and France and then eventually like PEI and, or France and Ontario. Okay. Yeah. And how did you, and so you were enrolled in this, it was a two-year program? Um, I was there for two and a half years. They don't have, okay. they're different than say like the Florence Academies where it is sort of like semesters and you enroll for like a certain period of time. 
it's a lot of shorter programs. So when I, the, when I first went, I uh, just went for a three-month program and then a two-month program kind of back-to-back. So I was there for just under six months. And when I was there, I met all these other people who were like, oh, we just came and then didn't go home. Like, we just, <laughs> we're just stringing things together. And I was like, oh, that's an option? <laughs> at 23, like, oh, I can just yeah. do this? So I, I called my partner at the time and was like, how do you feel about selling all of our stuff and moving to France? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, all right, sure, let's do it. Nice. So then we spent, we kind of, I came back, spent six months kind of in PEI wrapping up our lives there. And then we kind of moved the things, our belongings that we cared about into various parents' basements <laughs> and uh, went back to France. And so, and he was a writer. So like he had the opportunity to write while I was in class all day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've had a couple of artists, uh, Cornelia Hanish and mm-hmm. and uh, Cesar Santos on here, who've gone through that similar yes. kind of experience. And I wanted to ask you, what is that like? Like, what is the actual course like? And what's a normal day? You know, if if there is a normal day. Yeah, there was. It was highly structured, so there kind of was a normal day. My experience would have been quite different from theirs in terms of curriculum. Because the Florence academies tend to have uh, a much more, like a much more um, rigid 19th century French academic basis. So they're doing like the bark drawings, they're starting in charcoal, and then eventually moving to painting. The courses I was taking, they threw you into painting immediately, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which I wanted. Like I, I love painting. So we would have figure drawing in the mornings. So you'd be in class from 9.30 to 12.30. It ran on a French schedule. So from 9.30 to 12.30, we'd draw, we'd have a two-hour lunch break, and then you'd come back from 2.30 to 5.30 to paint. And we had a model all day, every day. So, the, so we kind of, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. So we're in this tiny town of maybe a thousand people, very, very quiet. You're out in the countryside, like it's just beautiful, sort of like moving to art heaven. Uh, and you know so the model comes as well so you you work with the same model over an extended period of time Mm -hmm. and we would start with you know you'd have some shorter poses in the mornings for drawing but then often in the afternoons um we start with color studies so you'd have like three to six hour poses kind of over multiple days eventually working up to a 45 hour painting so the model would hold the same pose every afternoon for three full weeks wow yeah Quite, quite involved. It was quite involved, and I, I loved it. And part of the reason I picked that program, too, is I still have the health problems I've had. I just learned how to manage them much better. That two-hour lunch break for me was key. I would study all morning. I'd go home, eat lunch, sleep, and then I'd go back to class. And then I was working. I was also running a web design business in the evenings to pay for everything. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I but noticed that as well. Key. <laughs> right cheaper than water <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i noticed that as well because i've been doing web design for 25 years i think and oh, wow. i thought it yeah. was cool that uh that you were doing that as a because i mean for a time and it's, it's probably to some degree now but for a time it was really i mean we were highly sought after everybody wanted a website yeah. and there were so many ways to do it and uh, so i'm it's cool that you're able to leverage kind of new technology uh, to learn a really uh, old method of expressing yourself through art. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was very kind of like a digital analog balance. Of right. <laughs> the 500 year old tradition 
during the day and then I'd go home and work on like a WordPress website for a client, you know, yeah. doing things that were, you know, only whatever, 20 years old. <laughs> right. That's cool. Yeah. And so you ended up finishing that program. Did you uh, come back to Canada at that point? Yes. So I finished and, it, you know, it, finishing a program. I, after two and a half years, I was like, okay, I've like, I need time to go and just absorb this on my own now and to experiment because when you're in class you know you're working on things that are set for you and that's great for learning a skill set but then at a certain point you want to use those things to make the stuff you're excited about so i kind of decided all right i and i'd also run out of money let's be totally honest <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the artist's life and you're like okay yes. <laughs> i think we're done here <laughs> so then at the end of 2013 we moved back to canada I lived briefly in like the Kitchener Waterloo area for seven or eight months and then moved to Ottawa September of 2014. And then I've been here since. And so when you came back, did you start with creating works and doing portraiture and selling those as commissions or did you, because you, you do teach and we'll get into your yeah. teaching, which I think is, is amazing. But I'm wondering how did you, the business mind, how did that turn on and translate what you learned in France into a business? Yeah. So that took some time because, you know, you can have all of the, the business knowledge. And, and at that point I did, like, I also, like I crowdsourced most of the money to go to school in France. Like I ran Kickstarters and Patreons before those were things that people did. So I had, I had that, but what I hadn't found yet was my own voice. So when I first came back, I was making portraits but I was kind of taking it really slowly, figuring out what did, what did I want to say? What was important to me? What, what kind of audience did I want to cultivate? Who were my right people? Uh, who was I trying to speak to? So it was actually a lot of, I mean, thank goodness I had the web design. Like the web design is kind of my income for a while there to give myself the freedom to just make stuff, mess it up, do things I liked, do things I hated, abandon things without worrying about like, but can I sell it? <laughs> right. And then what I realized as well at the time, and this is sort of how I eventually got into teaching, I missed community. I missed the community of being at school, that there were always arts people around to talk to. And I'm a person, again, because I wing things, and I also have no sense of scale or what is realistic. <laughs> So I kept myself into trouble on a regular basis. As much as there was a lot of life drawing here in the city, it wasn't necessarily the kind of life drawing that I wanted to be doing. And so the only reasonable solution to that is to get Live Workspace and open your own life drawing studio. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, that's, that's the only thing that you can do. Um, right. So <laughs> I ended up renting Live Workspace uh, out in Hintonburg. Okay. And opened and started running weekend life drawing poses where we'd have the same model for the whole weekend. So you'd have 12 hours to work on a drawing, which nobody else was doing in the city at the time. Uh, now other people are doing that too, or were pre-pandemic. Yes. And that was how I just started meeting the kind of people who got excited about the same kind of work that I did. And I think that was a really critical part of me. I mean, A, it got me practice time in front of a model, which really is important to me. Photographs are great, but working from life is something really special. Mm -hmm. 
And that was where I had the chance to kind of like develop my voice and develop my technique and, and get to know how to use, you know, I've been given all of these amazing tools, but what did they mean to me? How did I want to use them? How did I want to kind of create things? So it was a few years before I started really getting into kind of the business side of being an artist. I let myself just be an artist for a bit, who was also running a live drug studio. <laughs> no sense of scale. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I think that's, it, it's great to hear artists taking even a small amount of knowledge. And if there's a person listening and, and you feel you're really good at one small thing, share it with somebody else. It could be somebody, you don't have to charge people for it if you don't want to, but sharing a YouTube video, an Instagram video, because it, I do think it forces us to evaluate ourselves when you have to break the recipe down and build it from scratch and make sure you get all the, all the bits right, because you'll make that, quote unquote, make that recipe, make that uh, dish yeah. that you're delivering and then realize, oh, you know, I need to cut this bit out because it's too long. And I, I really think that helps us to refine who we are. And I do think it's, your comment about community is interesting because, you know, there are so many artists who find inspiration in many places, right? And I do think that many artists, whether they um, say it or not, really rely on community in some way, shape, or form. And I think a lot of the online learning sites now are leveraging that with the ability to share your work and do that kind of thing. But uh, I do think community is good. It, I mean, it can be damaging as well. I mean, Instagram can hurt some people where they feel like, you know, no matter what I post, I'm not as good as so-and-so. And then there's this comparison yeah. that goes on and sends you down a hole that you shouldn't be going down, right? Yeah. Because there's always somebody who's one step behind you and there's always somebody who's one step ahead of you. Yeah. And you just need to move yourself on that ladder. I think that's cool that you did that. You know, I think having done it, would you recommend somebody else doing the same? It depends on what kind of person you are. I think because community matters to me so much, I did enjoy the process. It also burnt me out. So maybe my recommendation would be like, join forces with two other people you don't want to kill. Um, <laughs> and like you have good enough communication. should be a t-shirt. <laughs> And that your communication skills are good enough to negotiate um, and maybe start something together so that all the admin doesn't fall on one person. Um, mm -hmm. Because what happened is like I started, I just started these groups so every other weekend and they were really popular. That was what surprised me is that like I had a waiting list really quickly because at first I could only fit seven people, including myself. And so the first weekend, I think we were half full. The second weekend we were full and then I never didn't fill a weekend until I closed in June of last year. And you closed because of the pandemic? Partially yeah. the pandemic, partially I've been intending to close anyway. It, it was the end of an era <laughs> and I was happy to close the door <laughs> as much as I loved it. Like I don't regret it in any way, but I think it has been an important part of me kind of finding my voice and figuring out what I want to do in the world. And building that sense and, and, and learning to teach, that was also really important to me as well. Like I do believe in strongly in passing along knowledge that everyone gets to like take off to France for two and a half years. That's a privilege. Being able to share all of that information and, and some part of that experience with people really matters to me. But a year after I started running the life drawing groups, that was when people were like, we really want you to start teaching. And at that point, I was burnt out from building websites. So I was kind of looking to like, okay, what, how am I going to diversify my income here? You know, like I'm really just don't want to do this anymore. 
let's start teaching. And my first class was all sold out. <laughs> and I just threw myself into it. And it was a lot of, ex- and this is where the business stuff kind of really came in. You know, having a mailing list, building waiting lists, building anticipation for things, and also just delivering an experience that people always felt like they got more than what they paid for. That you got so much information that you could go home and you could apply immediately and that we could change the way you see, saw the world in a relatively short amount of time. And so after a year of that, uh, I realized that like I needed to expand. And that was when I moved into my previous location. So I had a thousand square foot studio in old Ottawa South for the last two and a half-ish years um, until I closed because okay. of the pandemic. And that was where I, I taught a lot. <laughs> Are you still planning on doing teaching? Eventually. Um, I don't love online teaching. It, it loses a lot. A lot of the things that I really love about teaching just don't translate into an online world. So for now, I'm sort of on hiatus a little bit. When I can teach in person again, I absolutely do want to teach in person. And I'd love to start teaching workshops abroad and just like bring a group of people with me for two weeks to like, let's go to Madrid and just like go to the museum and learn how to paint and draw. That's the kind of long-term goal is wow. travel and teach people at the same time. Yeah. So teaching will always be a part of my life. It's just finding that better balance. You know, what is it about the in-person teaching that you're missing most versus kind of the online opportunity? I think it's the, um, there's something about the energy of having a bunch of people in a room. There's a certain like intimacy that's created there that online doesn't. And some of it is just the online. I mean, even when it's synchronous like this, you have technology that slows down and someone's response is 30 seconds delayed. (laughs) All these things. Um, So being in a room, there's like that, that energy that you all create. You can create very intentional community in person that I... I don't have the ability to create that online in the same way. Some people do. Some people create beautiful, intentional spaces online and it really works. It's not as easy for me. In person, no problem. I can do that. So I, I miss that. And I miss, I miss the banter with my students. I think that's the other thing as well is that like, you know, I don't take, I take the art seriously, but I don't take myself seriously at all. I never put myself up on like a pedestal as the guru. I just think that's really boring. I'd rather be like another artist, like in the trenches with my students. Yes, I'm further along, but you know, we've all struggled through these things. We've all made these mistakes. And then also having that kind of one-on-one interaction with my students. The people who were attracted to my classes were, there's definitely a lot of perfectionists and people who really cared about getting better. So like people cried on a regular basis. <laughs> it was a lot. My really? class, oh, at least once a week, someone cried somewhere. Um, there was one week where like someone cried in every single class. And I was like, is it like a full moon or something? Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, I don't make people cry. I would like to be clear. I'm not the one making people make themselves cry. Although I do have a wicked sense of humor. And my critiques were known for being unique (laughs) one student had like a in her sketchbook she would just write down all of the things i would say that out of context sounds super super strange uh we were gonna make a calendar at one point of like (laughs) weird things sarah says but those kinds of like that sort of 
kind of quirkiness of the way my brain works, it works better in person. I don't know what I'm going to say until it comes out of my mouth. And that's part of the joy of taking one of my classes. <laughs> it's an adventure for everybody. Um, so like, I, I miss that. I miss that banter. I miss the back and forth. But I also miss having those like working one-on-one -on -one with my students, meeting them where they were and helping them kind of work through both the, both the sort of technical stumbling block, but often that emotional stumbling block too. Sometimes to get to like, Sometimes to get to making something better, we have to be able to let go of all of our, our pain around not being able to make it better. Are there a couple of things that you saw happen often that would hold a student back? Is there something that you had to address with uh, many of the students? Hmm. The answer, like, yes, and trying to think of a specific example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that really stands out. I think sometimes we get too stuck on, I mean, perfect gets in our way a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we ask, we ask the wrong questions a lot. So much of making art is about learning to ask better questions of ourselves and kind of training that inner critic instead of just like yelling, you suck, right. <laughs> you know, fine, but not super helpful. Mm -hmm. Training it to yell like, Oh, that would be better if you move that thing to the left. <laughs> like, you know, can can we educate our inner critic to give us use? It, it's gonna give us feedback, right? Like, there's no just like turning that voice off. It's gonna give us feedback, but can we right. train it to give us feedback that's useful and not just self-destructive? So often, people were always asking the questions about like, is it perfect and is it right? And I don't know that that's the most interesting question, like. Is it truthful? Is it honest? Does it move? Does it have grace? Um, does it feel alive? I think those are all interesting questions that have kind of multiple answers that are beautiful. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely ugly answers. And sometimes there are flat out wrong answers. You know? <laughs> but I, there's also lots of different right answers that I, that I think we can train ourselves to ask those questions instead of just sort of berating ourselves. Right. So yeah, people struggle with that a lot. I think, you know, what I've heard from a few others, and I've struggled with myself, not so much with, not so much with graphite, but with, with watercolor mm -hmm. is well. <laughs> when, <laughs> and I, I should say I've enjoyed gouache much more because it's closer to oil. Like it, it gives me this sense of, as I, mentioned in a previous podcast, it gives you that, or someone else, uh, I guess, had mentioned, mm. it gives you that undo button uh, when you use gouache. So, yes. the, so the question is, the one that goes on my head all the time is, is it done? Ooh. Right? And that's, yes. can you talk about, is it done? Yeah. So I, I, I actually don't struggle with that question. I always know when something's done because and this is something I would say to my students a lot, but it's something I say to myself as well, is you never want to be just making marks for the sake of making marks. That the hand and the brain should always move at the same time. If the hand is moving and the brain is not saying anything, then like put down whatever it is that you're holding. <laughs> um, those two things should be in concert. And so I'm always asking myself, do I have anything intelligent left to say about this? 
And when I have nothing intelligent left to say that I cannot add a brushstroke that or a pencil mark that would make it better, it's as done as I am capable of me. And whether that's done by someone else's standards or it's even done by my own standards six months from now or six months ago, you know, the, the, the answer to that question, I think, will always be different. But when I feel like I, I just can't add anything, anything else I do to this now is going to detract from it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> or I'm just, I'm adding paint because I think I should add paint. I think I should add something else. Then I walk away from it. But I'm also, I, I can have notoriously long relationships with paintings as well. That sometimes I'll reach a point and then like it has to go in a corner for 18 months <laughs> And then to, to age yeah to age it's like a fine wine or a cheese right like it just <laughs> needs to go <laughs> so what we're saying is that time in france the wine has stuck with you through life um wine cheese yes 100 <laughs> percent. i'm constituted 50 percent by both of those things so. <laughs> that's, that's awesome it's good that you've been able to leverage it in, in teaching so that's absolutely yeah. <laughs> and also and also a little whiskey in there as well i have had students bring me whiskey as gifts it's great nice. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so like sometimes I do set something aside where, cause sometimes the answer to that question is there will be a better answer, but I don't have it right now that more needs to be said. And I don't know what that is at the moment, but then sometimes I just know, like I have done everything I can and I put it down and I walk away and, and that's it. I'm very unsentimental about my own work and always have been. The process is what I love. The final piece is like a great thing cause I can sell it. But it's often that process that I'm really enjoying. And then the final thing is like, yeah, 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 go out into the world. Like, I go. I'm done here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that would, um, that's good to hear. It's, it's nice to hear that different perspective because I've, I've struggled that, with that on a few. I've actually stopped a few drawings just because I just, I, I, I don't want to be doing this anymore right now. I, I'm, I'm done with this butterfly. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not working for me, and that's hard. Yeah, yeah. I you know, are you putting away the thing that? And and this is this is why social media is such a Ugh. a pain sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, Comparisonitis is, is the worst. <laughs> yeah, because you're thinking, you know, the stuff you post, you you think people will like, and I have this conversation numerous times. Oh. Almost every guest, you talk about this idea of like, but that's the one that I thought was better, and it's okay, it's all okay. But you worry when you stop something. That the thing you're stopping, is that the next greatest thing? Did I just, if it's really that good, it'll come back to you. Yes. In something else, right? Yes. There are, you know, all paths lead to Rome or whatever. Yes. There's, I think that whatever is waiting to be born in you can happen at any time because it's about the process, not about the product. The product will, whatever, it'll take care of itself. It'll happen or it won't happen. But the, the stuff that you are evolving inside of you, the things that you're learning, the things that you're pushing forward with, like that process never stops. The, the particular piece you're on may stop, but like that process never stops. So it, maybe it's the next one. And also that feeling never ends. But like the next painting is always going to be the great one. Right. <laughs> I still think that. This one didn't quite achieve what I got, but the next one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, and I, my students ask me that a lot and I reassure them regularly that like, you know, that feeling, because they ask me, you know, do you ever feel like you've just reached the pinnacle? And I haven't. And I hope to God I never do. I never want to reach the pinnacle because I always want to be 
striving for something. I always want to be curious and engaged and looking for that next thing. So there, in a way, it's just sort of like choosing a career where you're constantly dissatisfied with everything. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're teaching, are you teaching mostly oil painting? Are you doing drawing? Are you doing watercolor? So what, what does that look like? Yep. So never watercolor. <laughs> <laughs> love other people's watercolors have no intention of ever going back there i teach drawing and i teach oil painting okay so and i i teach i have acrylic painters who join my oil painting classes because i've i used to work in acrylics before i switched oils uh so okay. a lot of the concepts kind of overlap except we just deal with the drawing times differently but yes i teach is sort of i teach figure and portrait so both like how to draw and paint the figure and how to draw and paint the portrait. And so now you're doing, you're doing still life, you're doing portraiture. Are you doing landscapes anymore? No, I fell out of love with landscape. Occasionally I do like, I, again, in the pandemic, I did a little plein air because it was a thing to do that was outside my house. <laughs> right. But uh, I, I've become much more an appreciator of other people's excellent landscapes at this point. And are you drawn, that's probably the right word, <laughs> to digital at all? Have you done any digital work? I have not done any digital work. Occasionally, I toy with it, but, um, or I toy with the concept of getting into it, but it involves an investment of more art supplies, and most of my art supply budget goes to oil paints and brushes. So <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like, Sarah, you don't need another thing. <laughs> right. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I love other pe people's digital stuff. Like it's it's amazing what people can do with digital. It looks so much like what you can do with traditional media. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's exciting to see what people can do in in realism because mm. it really excels in that way. But also people being able to uh, produce or evoke that feeling of something that is is has texture to it right that it, it's something yeah. you could actually hold yeah i think it just it blows my mind i'm trying to get good at that but you know when you're trying to find your voice it's hard sometimes to focus on one thing right and uh yeah that's the challenge i mean i i think it's great that you're at that point where you've found your voice and you know landscapes don't do it for you yeah. and you know you're focused on what you're doing yeah now i wanted to go back to the student bit mm -hmm. and ask you what have they taught you? Uh, patience is the first thing that jumps to mind, or maybe taught me the capacity, my own capacity for patience, in that I never felt like I had to be patient. People would ask me often, like, how are you so patient when someone, you know, needs the same thing explained to them like 14 different times, 14 different ways, and it never felt like being patient. But I guess it was in its own way, patience. And you still have these people in touch with you as well, and... Yeah. In contact and yeah. So I guess to give to give an illustrative example, back in February of 2019, I spectacularly broke my leg. Like, had to have it reconstructed with titanium. I'm now part cyborg. Wow. And couldn't work for eight weeks, which you know is another thing about bricks and mortar. Like, doesn't matter if you can show up or not. Bills need to be paid. <laughs> so that was an adventure. My students brought me so much food. I don't think I cooked dinner for something like three and a half months. <laughs> that is awesome. We had to set, like, people drove me around. People took me to appointments. They took me to Ikea to get me, like, furniture so I could lean on things throughout my apartment. <laughs> like, people just 
rallied behind me in ways that I could never have seen or predicted. So they, yeah, they taught me a lot about um, letting people help me. I think, I think more than anything else, they taught me about community, letting people help me, accepting support, um, friendship. I have really wonderful students. I cannot say enough good things about them. They're a beautiful group of people. Yeah, that's cool. Did you have some students coming back again and again? Yeah, uh, my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was almost impossible to get into my classes for that reason, because my alumni rate was somewhere between 70 and 100 <laughs> percent. So I've taken one workshop and I was and it was the three day workshop. That's the only training I've had. Yeah. And I was surprised that I think there was probably and it was um, it was with Mike Sibley, who's a graphite artist out of uh, the UK. Oh, OK. So it was a three day workshop and there was I'm going to say 12, 14 people. And I'm going to say half of them had taken the workshop with him previously. And I was like, what? Why are you coming back again? Did you not learn enough the first time? Then after I had done it, it's like, when are you coming back? <laughs> it is, uh, it's, a, it's a special experience because I've taken lots of training, but not with an artist before. And you share this, you expose your soul in different ways with the artist because they talk about the works they've done and why they did it, and what it meant to them. And then you're sharing your thoughts and your process, and you're bonding. It's almost like, I'm not going to say you're dating, but it is a it, it is that kind of experience that you just yeah. you don't want it to end, right? And I asked that question being pretty sure that you would have people coming back <laughs> again and again. Yeah. Because it, I don't know what it is, and, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like, what is it that keeps them coming back? Is it? I think it's a couple things. I think, first of all, the body of knowledge is so deep. That, you know, you take an eight-week class, we've spent 16 hours talking about things that I spent two and a half years learning. So you get a taste and you realize, some of it is just you realize you don't know anything. And that you have just had literally like half an appetizer and there's, you know, a 15-course meal ahead of you. So, and because even though, and that you also need to hear the information multiple times to take it in. You hear me demo once, you take in about 5 to 10%. There's 90% you leave on the table. And I would notice that when I was teaching, that I'd say something and someone would say, you've never said that before. And I go, I've said it literally every time you've heard this. <laughs> like, <laughs> congratulations, this is the first time you're actually like hearing it and taking it in because, you know, you've kind of, you've heard enough of it that you're taking in new layers now. So that the body of knowledge is deep and rich and layered and in some ways never ending. And so... There's always something to come back to and to dive more deeply into. And because my class sizes were quite small, at most 12 mm -hmm. or 13 people, everyone got a fair amount of one-on-one -on -one time. So yes, you may have heard the demo three, four, 10, 12, 15 times before for some of my long-term students who are with me sort of the whole way. But when I come to you, then we're talking about exactly where you are in your learning process. And how do we push you forward? And what are you working on? And how do you take these concepts and apply them to the work you want to be making in the world? And then the other half is that community aspect. And I was very intentional about the community I created. I wanted it to feel very welcoming, very non-judgmental, so that we didn't end up with an Instagram world where we're all comparing each other. That I actually encouraged people to not actually really comment on each other's work unless specifically invited. Because you're only competing with yourself, not other people. You're the only person in the room. And your work is the only thing that matters. Because you can't be the person next to you on either side. 
So I think having that really supportive environment, and we laughed a lot and we had a really good time. (laughs) I I like podcast interviews because I think um, the sheer ridiculousness of my personality comes across a lot more than an Instagram. (laughs) And this is just a taste of like what a workshop with me is like. That's awesome. Well, I hope you're going to be giving workshops once this all ends again. Yeah. Because I think uh, I think I'd love to try one of those out, especially since as long as it's not in Madrid. Yes. So the commute's a bit long. Yeah, it's a bit far, but yes, there there are yeah. definitely. I have plans in place for local ones. We're literally just waiting for like the hey, it feels safe to do this kind of thing. Right. So. So I wanted to ask you, you know, that side of portraiture in the models, right? And because I saw you post about an individual that you had done, I guess, two portraits for. And so what is that experience when you're not teaching, but someone's asked you to do a portrait and you're working with this individual? Let's assume it's pre-pandemic times, right? Right. Talk about that a little bit, because I never really thought about it. I've not sat down and I'm sure, you know, the person listening, maybe they have done this before. I've never done it, right? Minor animals, and typically they're photos because they don't sit, sit still. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but in dealing with these people, I never really thought about the conversation and that. So can you talk a little bit about that experience and maybe a couple of things that have happened in your past? Because I thought that was kind of cool. I never really thought about it. Yeah, I, I love that process. I love working with models. I love just having, it's a really specific and sort of intimate relationship that develops because it's this process of you observing another person observing you back, right? I may be making work out of them, but they're watching me while I make work out of them. And so it's this, it's this dynamic that doesn't exist in many other, many other places, really. Even if you were photographing someone, that's different because then they're focused on posing and like you're thinking about a lot of different things when you do kind of photography modeling portrait modeling when someone's just you know hired me commissioned me to to paint their portrait yeah that's really different because they're not i mean sometimes i do say like i'm painting your mouth we both need to shut it for 10 minutes (laughs) i need that to be still but the rest of the time it's an ongoing conversation because i want to watch their face move while I make art out of them, because it teaches me kind of how they hold their face. It teaches me how much, how much they smile, how much they laugh. It gets that spark into their eyes. I want to hear their stories. I want to hear, and like you end up on the broadest and strangest range of topics as well, because it's just this really free flowing thing. And because there's sort of, sort of like, again, that sort of strange intimacy that gets built, you're sort of in this little art cocoon it feels like and so i have talked about everything like from the life of mushrooms like the growth cycle of mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) all the way through to like i posted on my instagram recently about a model i worked with she's nigerian and she would just tell me like the wildest nigerian boarding school stories um and i would just be like dying of and she had this really great deadpan expression so she'd say the most ridiculous things like without an expression at all (laughs) Um, I was crying. I was laughing so hard half the time when I was painting her. Other times, you know, you just end up having like really meaningful conversations about like the person, like how we perceive our own bodies, how we see ourselves. People get portraits for different reasons. I find that people come to me often to sort of mark a moment in their lives. 
I had one woman say, I could either get a tattoo or a portrait. And I figured a portrait was easier to remove. (laughs) 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 Right. But I really, I love that experience. They kind of like, they'd had some really important to them epiphanies recently. And they just wanted to like mark this moment in time. So you talk about that. You talk about why someone wants a portrait. It's always, yeah, I never know what to expect. And I love that part. (laughs) Do you find my immediate thought would be if I was doing a portrait, or if I was having a portrait taken and I saw your expression change, like, hmm, and people can't see me because I'm, you know, this yeah. is an audio yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast, <laughs> yes. but the, that kind of questioning face where you're looking at the, at, at, at the canvas and you're like, hmm, and the, I would immediately say, what? Right. <laughs> what? Did I do something wrong? Yeah. At what point does the canvas become, does it get removed from the conversation such that it's just two people talking, you know, instead of me saying, can I see, can I see? What did you do? Yeah, so I've actually... How does that evolve? I've never had anyone ask to see while I'm working on it. Oh, really? Yep, not once. <laughs> do, do you think Do you think it's it's maybe etiquette that they think I, I shouldn't ask the artist to see it until it's done? Quite possibly. I think most of the people okay. who sit for me are not artists. Um, I think I've only painted one other artist, a student of mine, commissioned me to paint his portrait. And that was fascinating because then we could talk about art the whole time and I could actually explain the process of what I was doing because demoing a portrait painting and actually making a portrait painting are two different things because when I demo something I'm being very very systematic and clear so that people can understand the logical steps that I'm taking in my thought process when I'm actually just painting something no one's watching so like I just I I'm a little more not quite loosey-goosey but it's a little more intuitive I'm not as concerned about like does this make sense to the back row? <laughs> right. Um, Am I teaching them the wrong thing? Yeah. I'm taking a shortcut here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I know how to get from point A to point D, and I don't need to explain mm-hmm. B and C. So that was fun because we could talk about, he could watch it evolve kind of as a more intuitive and creative process versus like a demonstration. But yeah, I think, and I think to people, I sometimes have the conversation of like, this is going to go through a weird, awkward phase. It will look terrible. I don't want to show you at that phase because you'll think I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because I I had on my list of questions, talk about the ugly phase. (laughs) Yeah, the ugly phase is really important. Every single painting goes through it. There's just no, there's no, or drawing. There's no avoiding it. It's like, it's like being a 13 year old. You have to go through the age of being 13. It's horrible. (laughs) I'm like, you have to get through it. You Um, You need that contrast. Exactly, exactly. There's just like, or, and we can never judge it at that period. That it's sort of like, I always compared this when I was talking to my students about it, that it's like taking a cake out of the oven halfway through and being like, well, it's just a mess. Well, yeah, it needs like another 30 minutes in the oven. Like, don't judge it now. (laughs) Leave the poor thing alone. Um, It's got to go through the ugly phase because it's that moment. Because oftentimes pieces, when you just start them, look great because they're full of that like exciting, like, oh my God, I just started it and it has all this potential and I've only got a few marks down, but don't those first few marks look really nice? Like really like those first few marks. But then you get to a certain point and it's got enough stuff on there that it's got, what it ends up having is a lot of unanswered questions, right? It's a lot of unresolved questions of the artwork that we're not done answering yet. And so it's like a lot of unfinished sentences and it looks like a mess. (laughs) Just got to like finish the sentences one by one. 
and eventually it will come through to the other side. But yeah, you just can't judge it too soon. That's got to let it be. <laughs> <laughs> From an artist's perspective, person who's painting the portrait, what do you think is, has been the hardest thing? What is the hardest thing that artists have to struggle with in doing portraiture? Children. <laughs> <laughs> Squishy toddler faces. This <laughs> <laughs> this is an ongoing sort of joke with my students because I've had several sort of child portraits to work on the past few years. And children I do do from photographs because uh, much like animals, they don't want to stay still. <laughs> so and a lot of them have actually been not local people. I do work from photographs regularly for portrait commissions because not all of my clients are local. So we do what we have to do. Children's faces, I think, are the hardest because they're so subtle and you can accidentally make one child look like another child, like with just like the smallest of changes. Yeah, they're, they're the thing. Like, I love that challenge. And it is, yeah, the, the quickest thing to drive me to the whiskey bottle is <laughs> children's <laughs> portraits. <laughs> it, it's funny because when I look at, so I did my, I've, done, I've drawn my eye, I think mm. three times. And I'm working on my daughter's eye in colored pencil. So I've done my eye in colored pencil, digital, and graphite. Okay. And... I worked on my daughter's eye, and I'm not done it yet because I'm finding it frustrating because there's not enough texture. I love the wrinkles. And so is it, can I just ask you a silly question? Sure. Is it more fun to draw older people mm. than younger people? I mean, you talk about kids, but I'm just thinking about yeah. the texture, which tells a story, but it's also a lot of, I love the texture. I love the differences and, and the minuscule kind of, anyways. I'll leave that with you. What, do you. what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I do find that people, and my students would have noticed this in the, the models that I hired. I didn't hire tons of kind of like 20-year-olds. There were some, but we worked with a broad age range and just a, just a broad, like a, a wide diversity of models. I, I think it takes us a little time to grow into ourselves. That, you know, at 20, they're just, we haven't, most of us, not everyone, most of us have not lived enough life, I think, for our faces to be really interesting. They might be very pretty. They might be full right. of the energy of youth. But like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You didn't earn that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got to earn those wrinkles and those gray hairs. Yeah. I've gotten have quite a few more in recent <laughs> last couple of years. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I do find that more interesting because for me, working from the human body is all about the stories that our bodies tell. And so the longer someone's lived, the more story that body has. Um, so I will always find that just a little more, I guess, juicy for me personally. I find yeah. that juicier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the portraits you've done because they really celebrate the diversity of humankind. and. And, and, and less about the perfect idea of whatever we have and more about the, the curves and the lines and the uniqueness in who we are. And uh, is that a conversation that you have with your models when you're going through this? Is that, are you talking about their parts as you're painting them? And I, I don't want to hmm. simplify it, but do you talk about the differences and, you know, you, the, the way your shoulders dropping is fantastic right now, or your like, do you talk about the parts that make them who they are as as an artist sees them? Yes. Are you educating them? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I am somewhat notorious for giving people like the weirdest compliments. Um, so I have complimented people on the beauty of their mastoid process. I have, you know, I once complimented a man on his dainty ankles. He didn't appreciate that quite as much. Um, <laughs> but because, so a lot of what I teach, I, I talk a lot about what, what is the shape of organic form? What, what are the, how do humans grow that is different than tables and chairs? You know, so there's two different kinds of form. There's organic form, there's platonic form. Organic form, human form, has its own kind of rules and shapes. I love those shapes. And so I'm often kind of seeing those things and then just exclaiming in delight about how wonderful they are when I notice that, like, um, someone's collarbones are really beautiful. You know, elbows, knees, like, there's all kinds of fantastic shapes in, in everybody's body. Um, the way the, like, anterior muscles across the rib cage kind of like spread can be really wonderful um on some of my more athletic models but i also just love cellulite <laughs> light on cellulite <laughs> awesome. is gorgeous like it just is so much fun to draw um <laughs> and like the folds and the wrinkles and like i just i love every last bit of it so yeah so especially when models are working for me when i'm teaching I am pointing out to students, do you see how this is shaped? Do you see how like the curve of their ear is reflected in the curve of their eye and the curve of their eyebrow and the shape of their nostril? That those that we all have, what makes us look like us is we have an internal rhythm of growth, which means like I can't take my nose off my face, stick it on your face. That would look weird. That's why plastic surgery gone wrong. is like so just like horrifying to us. So starting to notice each person's sort of internal rhythm and how they grow and how that same shape gets repeated throughout the whole body. I talk about that a lot. Um, when I'm working with models one-on-one, -on -one, we talk about like the colors I'm seeing in their skin because skin is so colorful. It's not just like beige or brown. It is like reddy, pinky, bluey, greeny, yellowy, orangey. <laughs> we have all these like really colorful neutrals in us. So I'm always sharing those things with my models as well. So a lot of my models have actually crossed um, from model to student as well, okay. which is fun. Do you have, do you ever have models or, you know, I'm thinking maybe more somebody who comes in for a portrait where they say, can you, can you paint me differently? I think that my work turns those people away. It is an effective rejector seat because I paint people as they are. Like if I've painted someone else's cellulite, you're going to get the feeling that like, I'm not the person to come to and be like, can you just Photoshop out all the stuff that I don't like? <laughs> I'm not your girl. I make those people literally run. I have had people come and see my work and be like, this makes me very uncomfortable because you put like you drew that person's roles. So I either make people really uncomfortable or really excited. <laughs> it's very divisive. <laughs> Sometimes I get into the craft. Mm. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. In when you're working on a piece, are you and you know it could be a portrait, it could be you know the eggs that you're that you're drawing as well. What is your process if you were to go to oil? Do you do multiple kind of drawings in charcoal or graphite before you then do an underpainting? Like how does that work for you? Mm -hmm. I have a few different processes. I don't regularly do too much of a drawing drawing before I start painting. I draw with the paint quite a bit, uh, but it depends on what I'm doing. So like for the little egg studies, 
I'm drawing with paint right onto the canvas. There is no preparatory study. I do them in a couple of hours. If I'm doing like an actual portrait painting, let's say a commissioned portrait painting, what I usually do first is a study. I do a color study. And that's where I work out my broadest values, my broadest kind of color harmonies, composition. Um, so I might add and remove elements within the color study because like I only make them kind of three by five inches, let's say, like quite small. So it's easy to kind of work into them, remove things, add things, push stuff around. Once I'm happy with my color study, then I will sometimes I'll do a preparatory block in. If it's a toddler and I'm feeling very frustrated with their squishy, squishy little face, um, then I definitely <laughs> do a preparatory drawing and I transfer it to the canvas. So what I usually do in that case is I rub charcoal on the back of where of the drawing and then transfer it that way. And then I go into an underpainting. So I do tend to do, so all my still lives are one layer of paint. I do them in one go. That I, I like still lives as kind of like quick exercises when I don't want something terribly taxing, but I want to make something. Right. Almost all of my portraiture work is kind of three to four layers of paint that we do. I do a full underpainting and kind of thin uh, with a more solvent. So we're always thinking fat over lean with oil painting. And then I do one second layer that covers the entire thing that is more of like a, a final layer. And then uh, in areas where it needs more detail, it'll kind of get like three, four, like much smaller layers. So like the eyes might have three and four layers because I've added, as it dries, I add a little more detail kind of every time. Right. But that's my, my general sort of like for the, for the paintings that are like, this is officially Sarah's body of work. You know, that's the, that's the process. Oh. That's cool. I mean, mm. it's good to hear that. Oil is not something I've tried. Mm. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I did, I did try it like 25 years ago, and, and I just, it frustrated me because I didn't know anything. And so I was drawing and, or painting, and I just didn't know when it was going to dry. Like, I was just completely naive, right? Yeah. And at that time, there was no online courses. And Nothing. <laughs> it was hard because everybody I hung out with, it was like, you know, I, I want to I do painting. And they're like, come on dude, let's go out and have a beer instead. <laughs> like, so it was, right. it's hard pulling yeah. yourself away from that, right? Yes, yes. Um, but I, I keep thinking I want to try it. And so I think I'm going to play with gouache a little bit. And then yeah. I, I think if the pandemic ends at some point and you offer a class, I think that would be the thing that would pull me in. Because, you know, I, I want to reach out and, and take on some online courses, but I really, having that conversation, that experience with Mike Sibley and being able to talk about what you're doing... <sighs> is is great and you know and and being able to because he wanted us to draw a dog right like that he he does a lot of dogs right okay and i was like i don't want to draw a dog i'm drawing butterflies because my daughter's turning 16 and we raise monarchs every year and i want to draw her two butterflies right so he was cool with that and so he provided different input yeah i couldn't do that online easily yeah and um so I, i i feel like oil paintings scaring me a little bit and yeah. If somebody's listening right now and is thinking about oil, what would you say to them that would be comforting? Mm. <laughs> it would be, okay, it's oil's okay. Because you hear about how hard it is. You hear about the toxicity, right? right? So people are concerned about that too. Yes. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I, I get a lot of students who take some of my, one class in particular. So I teach a color studies class. I get a lot of beginner oil painters in that class. And it's a great class to start with. Because we, we, we throw a lot of things out so that we can just focus on trying to like corral the paint <laughs> and like get it from the palette. 
onto the canvas in something that looks sort of human. (laughs) (laughs) But oil paint doesn't have to be scary. I used used to also be afraid of oil paint. I really did. Um, I was an acrylic painter for a long time. I was also scared of like the toxicity and everything. You can do, I mean, A, I mean, you don't even have to deal with any of the toxicity if you don't want to. If you're buying, as long as you don't buy any cadmiums or cobalt colored or lead, which is harder to track down, you'd have to really work to get lead paint. Um, (laughs) As long as you're not buying those, everything else is safe. You know, like raw umber is is dirt and oil. Like, I don't recommend eating it, but you're not going to die if you eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's, you know, it's it's either linseed oil or, or walnut oil. And, and quite highly refined, so they're very close to kind of food grade. Like, we eat linseed oil and walnut oil in food. Titanium white, very safe, very stable. Uh, there's a lot of sort of chem- like uh, lab-reproduced versions of the cadmiums and cobalts now. Um, you can get, like, a naphthol red, and that's going to look so similar to a cadmium red. It's going to function in a very similar way. And then you can, you can actually... So solvent is the thing. We used to use turpentine. Turpentine is terrible. Don't use turpentine. You don't have to. Um, you can get Gamsol. Gamsol is an odorless mineral solvent. It's very, very safe. Again, don't sniff it. <laughs> you know, right. But as long as you're keeping it like capped, I, I almost never... I open my solvent for two things. To mix medium. So the medium I work with is just linseed oil and solvent mixed 50-50. Um, and then I have an underpainting one with a little more solvent. But it's not so much that you're sort of like inhaling it and it evaporates very, very slowly. So you're not kind of breathing it in. And then I open my, you know, I, I clean my paints and solvent or my brushes. So I have it open for five minutes at the end of my painting day and then I close it. So you're not really exposed. And if, you know, if you get a lot of paint on your hands and that makes you uncomfortable, wear gloves. I'm a very, I'm like a notoriously tidy painter. I have almost no, like I don't get paint on myself very often. But if you're a messy painter, wear an apron or gloves. You're not going to get as much on you. Don't put the solvent on your skin. That's one time someone got paint on themselves and I watched them just like starting to wash it all off with solvent. I was like, no, 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 ivory soap, ivory soap. (laughs) That does the trick, (laughs) don't worry. But you can, yeah, you can use oil paints like very, and some people don't even wash their brushes with solvent anymore. You can look up no solvent brush cleaning and you can wash them with like walnut oil and it's just, it's just a lot of oil and then soap and water. Right. But again, if you're not using the leads, cadmiums or cobalts, it's very, very low toxicity or at least no different than working with acrylics. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I was worried it was going to be a silly question, No. Um, but you know, I'm, I, I'm on a journey here and I'm learning and I'm curious Yeah. <laughs> and both get me into trouble. So yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I want to ask you something about your Instagram. Mm. I mean, you posted your top nine. Yes. And you post a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, for everything that we're talking about, the books that you mentioned before, that's going to be in the show notes. Yes. So I, I'm going to mention it to the person listening because I think I do pretty good show notes. So don't feel like you have to write this stuff down if you're running, if you're if you're drawing or painting right now, the notes are there, they're on the website. I'll include links to everything which includes your Instagram. And I wanted to ask you, you posted your top nine. If we, and, and I don't know if the answer is in there, but <laughs> what are you most proud of in what's on your Instagram profile right now? Mm, yeah, the self-portrait I made this year. Is it this year? I posted it this year. Sometimes, yeah, 2020 sort of blurred. <laughs> yeah, I think I did finish it this year. <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, I painted a self-portrait called All of My Demons Tell Me to Give Up. And it's part of the beginning of a new body of work I'm working on that kind of explores more of my history of, of dealing with chronic illness and the kind of things that come out of that. And I definitely struggle. Not so much struggle, but like we all have those voices that tell us to give up. And I don't listen to them. I'd like to make it clear that like this, this portrait is sort of in defiance of that. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was uh, challenging to be that vulnerable on social media. Mm. That is uh, a new thing for me. I'm looking at it right now. Now I'm pulled into it. <laughs> <laughs> I did realize that uh, that little bit on the shoulder mm-hmm. and you know the skull in the background. Yeah. It all it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's wow, that's good. Lots of nods to art history in there. Like it's not just mm-hmm. it's not just a self portrait. Like the skull is there for like the vanitas, um, still 16th century still lifes, right? Like contemplating sort of our own death and the, the shortness of our lives. Um, there's a very very faint, but below it is actually a clock. Again, sort of we only have limited time. Like yes, I have these demons right. telling me to give up, but also I only have limited time, and we have to. We still have to move forward. We still have to say something. You still have to make your own work. Even if my little right. Hieronymus Bosch-inspired demon on my shoulder sometimes tells me to quit. It's, uh, I, I didn't notice it when I first looked at it. And so thank you for providing the audio narrative. Yes, Because I'm sure that whoever's listening right now is going to be like, what? And <laughs> go look at it and be like, it's... it's um, it's 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 like exposing the puzzle of your life, right? Yeah. Like these are all the pieces when they're put together, and this is who I am now, right? Yeah. 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 So that was, yeah, that was. Uh, it took me. I finished the painting at the beginning of 2020, and it took me like nine, ten months before I felt able to post it. And also, when you're making work that's more vulnerable and you want to share it, you have to be able to handle the consequences of sharing it, whatever those may be. And sometimes both good and negative attention can be equally difficult to handle when it's kind of a, a tender spot. Um, so I had to let it sit for a bit before I felt like, okay, I'm in a place where regardless of how people respond to this, like I am able to handle that with a an amount, certain amount of like grace and dignity or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a wonderful piece. I Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back through your Instagram even more here again. <laughs> so... I wanted to ask you as well, your point in time right now with your art, where are you? What's next? What's coming up? What are you, ha- what are you thinking about? Let's assume the pandemic, everything gets to normal by the fall, if that helps in kind of envisioning what's next. Yeah. But, but what are you working on? What kind of, what's the future for you in the next maybe two or three years? Yeah. So I definitely, I have this, the self-portrait is part of a larger body of work that is definitely getting my focus right now. I have three pieces completed, but there are several more that I want to do. And all of them are quite involved and elaborate pieces. So yeah, a lot of my previous portraiture work has been sort of simplified to kind of really focus on that person's story. So you're not sort of distracted by other elements Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a lot of narrative behind the pieces that I'm planning. They're bigger. There's like a lot of layers to them. There's a lot more planning. So I'm actually doing some more sketches now, but also in Photoshop, piecing together different elements and and moving things around and planning compositions that way because there's so many moving elements to it 
So that's that's one big focus when the pandemic is over um, or we're like vaccinated enough that everyone feels safe to stand in a room with each other again and traveling is possible again. I do want to um, resume more traveling. When I was at school in France at Studio Escalier, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I've missed being able to be a little more nomadic. So more travel. Um, I'd like to spend some time in Madrid, actually. <laughs> there's, there's a reason that's the one that sprang to mind. Right. But teaching, teaching workshops abroad, uh, going and teaching different places, wherever that is. Uh, I'm planning on teaching a workshop in Edmonton, hopefully in December. <laughs> Our te- we've tentatively rescheduled a third time. <laughs> well, I think that's probably safest now if if the uh, prime minister is right and that we're all going to be vaccinated by September. Yes, so that's it should be okay. That's what I'm hoping for. So yeah, so kind of finding a balance between I think that's really where I'm, I'm at is sort of finding that balance between career work and and producing bodies of work that is important to me, portraiture work because I also enjoy that, and then teaching in there as well. Maybe not to the extent as before. Weeks where I teach. 20, 30 hours is like a little much. <laughs> I will not be running a bricks and mortar school again anytime soon. Um, but finding ways to teach in, in more manageable ways, maybe where someone else does the admin for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really beautiful. So yeah, that's the current, that's the current plan. I wanted to go back to something, because you talked about the business bit, yeah. right? That you had a lot of business mentors and uh, obviously, that was a huge impact on you being successful yeah. uh, in working through this. Yeah. And I don't know if, if this is going to take us down a path that I may have to edit out. Sure. Okay. But I'm, I want I, I want to ask the question, because I did web, I've done web design for years, and you did it as well as you were going through school. Do you feel that that interaction with technology and building websites and WordPress sites and, and dealing with all of that has helped you? in organizing some of your thoughts in managing your business. You know, let's say there's somebody 12 or 13 that's listening and all they're focused on is if I want to become a better artist, I have to take art classes. Well, now they know you need to take some business classes. Here's a successful artist who did well in understanding the business side. What about the technology side? What's the value in that as an artist? Yeah, it certainly helps in the current age to have at least some tech knowledge. It doesn't have to be huge i don't think but being able to so like you know you don't even have to pay a web designer for a decent looking website anymore i'm no longer in that field so i'm not putting myself out of business by saying that (laughs) but you know there's there's you can put together a squarespace site that looks reasonable and you know you don't have to worry about as many of the tech pieces as you might on other platforms and and I should say that Squarespace is not sponsoring this episode. Yeah, Squarespace is not. I don't get any money for this. This is just, you know, watching, yeah. mostly from seeing other artist friends build decent websites with Squarespace. Mm-hmm. But being able to kind of like even set that up and, and know what looks good, having kind of like having some idea of design can be useful, even just for making kind of decent business cards that just look professional and clean and you know uh not all artists have a good eye for design it's a misnomer that artists are good designers we're not necessarily (laughs) so you know kind of kind of looking at some nice design can be useful but also like if you decide you want to teach online knowing how to do that all the technical 
parts of, of being able to do that, it can be useful to have at least a passing knowledge of, of what you need. I have, you know, a mic because I had to finish my classes earlier this year online when kind of the semester ended partway through the semester. <laughs> so we finished classes online and, you know, that meant I needed to do video editing and, and how do I record video in a way that looks good and, and put all those pieces together and edit videos. So not being, I think maybe it's more about not being intimidated by technology getting at least like a, a passing, a sort of, I, I used to work for someone who rated everything by tech proficiency levels. So like it's on a scale of one to five, I'm a five. There's not much I can't figure out. But like being a two or a three, pretty useful. Yeah. I'm in the process of opening my first online store, art store. And so I'm using the Shopify mm -hmm. platform because, yep. you know, they're here Yes. in Ottawa. Yep, yep. I know some people that work there. Yep. There's a lot of steps to that there's a lot mm -hmm. to do i'm not going to say it's complex but it is wonderfully built yeah and it it i do think the knowledge is helpful you and i had a brief conversation just through messaging on instagram mm -hmm. just about the value of newsletters yes. and what platform to use yes and you know there's some complexity around that as well so uh, i would yeah i would highly recommend both my daughters i've told them i don't care what you want to be you're going to take computer courses yeah yeah because there's a huge value and even understanding I don't think it applies to art maybe as much, but understanding how computer programming works. Because when you get into some of the math and science, understanding yeah. you know, functions and relations is helpful if you've done a little bit of programming. And But I'm not going to suggest that artists do programming. Sure. But like knowing an if-then statement can be useful. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Shopify have their liquid language that they use for, for uh, markup, right? Yeah. And yeah. so there is some value. So I, I think all this to say that it's not just about the art courses if you want this to be your career or your side hustle, right? Yeah, unless you have a trust fund that will pay for someone to do all this for you. The rest of us are bootstrapping it and <laughs> it can be very yep. useful having just enough of a proficiency level to understand how it works, how the pieces fit together. Even just like, do you know what an API key is and do you know where to put it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're going to have to connect one payment source to another or your MailChimp to your website or whatever, like just not being intimidated by the language, I think is really useful because it's not necessarily hard. You just have to know like, oh, it's just an API key. I just have to copy and paste this thing from here to here. Right. Not that hard. But if we're intimidated by it, then everything gets a lot more complicated. Yeah. And I think I unfortunately see so much intimidation. I mean, I'm the tech guy for a lot of people. And yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy when people ask silly questions yeah. because it means they've got over, over that. And I look at the same as the conversation with you right now. There are silly questions I've asked in the interview because I don't know. Yeah. But somebody has to ask the question because somebody yes. else has the same one in their head. Yep. So it's okay with tech to say, I don't know how to do this thing. There are some tech people who will respond with, what? Yes. Why don't you know how? Yeah. It's the same with everything. So just ask the question. And maybe this is where, once again, having community helps. Yeah. And that's what I found great about the class is, oh, what pencil are you using? What eraser is that? Yes. And we actually, I think after the first morning, we went across the street. We were down near the St. Laurent Mall here in Ottawa. Mm. And there's a Desire yes, there store. Is. We went to the store. We did a bunch of shopping. Yes. And brought back our stuff. <laughs> I have gotten so, phone calls from students in the art store. Like, I'm looking at this. Do I want this thing or this thing? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's cool. I, if you 
if you are challenged, if you're listening to this now and you feel like you're struggling, not with the art, but the process, I mean, reaching out to artists, um, even the ones, the two that you're listening to right now, yeah. this is, it's a good thing to do. It'll, it'll move you further and don't be scared to ask. Yeah. And YouTube is like a ridiculously amazing resource at this point. There is so, like, any question you have, someone has made you a step-by-step walkthrough video on YouTube of it for you. <laughs> like, yeah, someone's out there to answer your question. Don't be embarrassed you have the question. We all have to start somewhere. Right. Yeah, I, uh, even now, like me, I've been a techie for my whole life, and I get to a point where I don't use YouTube for a day or two when I'm trying to solve a problem, and then I finally re- remember. Right. Because <laughs> I watch YouTube every day, but I don't think about it always as the place for solutions. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, well, just search for this. There's no way. And sure enough, there's Buddy What's His Name or whomever. Someone's done it. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So, can I ask you, and putting you in the spot a little bit, but what do you think is the best advice you've ever received from somebody? Yeah, you are putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it may be art advice, hmm. it may be business. So, I'm saying this to give you a bit of time to think about yeah. it. But. I'm wondering, what what do you think is that advice that, that rings true in your head or that you've shared with your students? I guess the, the closest one that jumps to mind is I was getting, it was when I was still studying and I was really frustrated with a painting. It was just sort of a, like a 15 hour study. It wasn't very long. Um, oil painting, like a sketch, basically. And uh, I'd reached the point, there was maybe a couple hours left before the, the pose was over and that's it, like you're done. I was just really frustrated. And it was my third year, I think. And so I had made a lot of improvement. I had much higher expectations of my skill at that point as well, right? Your ego starts to get in the way. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of ready to maybe set it on fire and launch it into space. <laughs> my teacher, Tim, came and sat down and took a look at it and he was like but this is going really well and I was like it's terrible though like and I think it was it was definitely in that like awkward teenager phase and he fixed it with 15 brush strokes we counted 15 brush strokes and he said something like you know don't get angry it's not worth getting angry at it like you know you're kind of turning on yourself you don't have to turn on yourself and that you were only 15 brushstrokes away from what you wanted. So, you know, a little patience. Mm. Cut yourself some slack. You're this close. Don't judge too fast. Give yourself a little space. Now, do you feel you always have those 15 strokes inside you now? Yeah. When you do your work? Yeah. 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 I, um, the struggles I have as an artist are very different than the struggles I had as a student. That I'm... I'm not wrestling with how to do stuff anymore. Part of the reason I wanted an education was so that I could have that skill set just like in my bones there to be used whenever I want to and that I could wrestle with the bigger questions of of what I'm making and why I'm making it and and how do I use the tools to say what I want to say. So I'm much more often wrestling with um, kind of more existential crises of how do I best express what I'm trying to express more than just like, is this the right color? That's no longer kind of an issue. The color, the, all the technical pieces are, are there. Those 15 brushstrokes are there, but the, you know, how do I express what I'm deeply trying to express? That is where I feel the frustration or, you know, want to set fire to things and launch them into orbit. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's uh that's a cool story yeah it's you know it's it's not that far from you right when you think about it yeah success isn't 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 that far you just sometimes you need to be pushed back on track or to be shown the light or yeah whatever the case yeah. yeah so it is advice i've passed on to students as well that sometimes i've said look you're you're actually not that far like this is this is heading in the right direction you you just have right. to keep going stopping is not going to get you what you want you just have to keep going so you know what i find interesting and in, i've been doing this podcast it'll be up on two years in may and with all the guests i've had on i tend to look at things differently so i had joe brown on who does a lot of ink work with mushrooms and all this so when i'm out and about i'm always looking for mushrooms right and uh you know i have robert, robert bateman on so obviously you know, I was into nature beforehand, but now I'm looking at it differently. Mm-hmm. So I had eggs for lunch a couple of days ago. <laughs> and I'm looking at the eggs and I'm thinking, they are wonderful. And they were brown eggs. And I was thinking, this is a wonderful, interesting texture. <laughs> I, I, it's odd how these things have an impact. So can you talk about your egg studies and, and why you're doing them and why this would benefit other artists, maybe in exploring that? Yes. So um, eggs are actually homework um oh so let's let's do that yes <laughs> let's because we're right right at that point okay perfect let's jump into the homework yes <laughs> so it was both the reason i want to pass it on is it was it was my homework as a student that's actually where i first fell in love with egg painting so eggs are the outside of humans um the most sort of subtly rounding objects organic objects that you can get right and so when you're learning to paint humans, what you're really learning to do is, is learn how to build a gradation in paint, to get something from, to turn from shadow up to light in a way that feels full and round and like you could reach out and grab it. Eggs are really great because they don't have subforms. You don't have to worry about getting a likeness. You know, like, <laughs> there's no eyes, nose, none of that nonsense. It's just kind of like one single form with a very like gradual but still tapered because that's the thing we want to remember is that humans are made of tapering forms. We're not made of like spheres um, or cones or anything like that or cylinders. We taper. So eggs have the same shape. We have a lot of egg-like shapes in our bodies, right? Like eyes are very obviously egg-shaped, but heads very obviously egg-shaped. So eggs are a really great way to teach yourself how to build subtle gradations that is accessible. Eggs are cheap to buy. You get a dozen of them for three bucks. (laughs) Um, They come in different colors. You just need a single light source. Um, So you can easy to set up a still life, stick it on a shelf, get a lamp, shine it on there. You can do them in black and white to start with or black and raw umber. So just two colors just to practice without worrying about color, just how to get it from dark to light and then do it. So my homework was to paint 30 eggs. And all my students know that, like, get to 30 and you will no longer struggle with painting a gradation. That will feel natural and normal. So I was, and I, I because I did it as a student, um, as sort of our, like, homework outside of class, I fell in love with that process of just, like, getting the egg to feel full and round. Because it's actually incredibly difficult <laughs> <laughs> the first few eggs you paint will just sort of look like very flat. One of my, I actually used to teach egg painting classes because I kept giving this homework to my students and they would talk about doing it, but never do it. So eventually I was like, fine, I'm just going to force you all to take a class where I make you paint eggs. 
Sometimes those eggs came out more like potatoes. You know, it happens. Um, so it, it won't look like an egg the first 10 times you do it, and that's fine. And I think it's important to set that expectation of, like, paint 10 terrible eggs. And then, like, egg 11, stuff will start to click. It forces you to really start to pay attention to it. Because it also gets you paying attention to the subtlety of the shapes. Eggs are very, very subtle. Very subtle transitions around the outside of the shape. Subtle transitions within it. So it's just excellent. Excellent? Can I make that pun? Is everyone going to hate me now? Um, <laughs> you got to own it. <laughs> I, just, I am that person. <laughs> this is for anyone local who wants to take my class. This is what you'd sign up for. They're just, they're really great at training you to recognize subtleties and to train your eye to recognize subtleties. So even if you're just drawing it, you could, you don't have to do it in paint. You would get a lot out of just trying to draw an egg and make it feel like really full and round, but it's great training for getting used to like Mm -hmm. using a brush in a meaningful way where it's not just kind of brushes are not meant to be blunt instruments. They're meant to be like finely tuned knives. They should, they should be able to make large movements and small movements equally. Um, they should not bludgeon things to death. So it's important. It's a, eggs are a great way to learn how to like not bludgeon something to death with a paintbrush. <laughs> so, yes. That's really good homework. We just walked right into that homework. That was brilliant. <laughs> well, you set it up right at the beginning when you were talking about my egg paintings. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. We're just going to bring this full yeah, right. circle. <laughs> <laughs> the story is done. Yeah, I think that's. Yes. Uh, I yes. think that's great homework. I'm. I. It's. It, it. I'm gonna have to add that to my list. I don't know what I'll do it in. Um. I, I probably will start with graphite. I think. Yeah, and you can do it in gouache. You can do it. I've had students do it in acrylic as well. It's great for acrylic because you know it does dry a lot faster, but you still want to be able to build a smooth gradation. So it's a way to kind of figure out how do you do that. Do you scumble it do you kind of use retardant and uh work a little wet into wet there's different ways to kind of achieve that but eggs are a great way to to figure out how you want to do that before you try to do it on someone's face <laughs> right yeah I, and acrylic something yeah. i haven't used either so I, I i would probably yeah but i think i may try digital because i i use an ipad to draw mm, a lot yes and yeah the yep. other bit that i'm just getting into now is colored pencil. So I've actually ordered some um, some solvent yes. from the UK that will help with some of the ah, yep. gradations kind of thing and be able to smooth it out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be mm-hmm. playing with that. That's supposed to arrive, ah. I think, this week. So uh, I'm going to be, I think, probably trying eggs. Yes. It's, it's just such a useful, simple exercise. And I, you know, to give full credit, I've obviously stolen this homework from my teacher, Michelle. So... Studio Scalier gets full credit for this homework. And and she took it from her teacher, Ted Seth Jacobs. So like, we're just, I'm just passing along this homework lineage for you all. Well, I see a lot of people uh, also doing skulls. And I think that probably that's, that's coming from hmm. the same as well, right? Where you've got this interesting yeah. and, and you're trying to look at values and tone and yeah. light. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Skulls, very, very similar kind of idea. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. I like the eggs because they're, uh, they're yeah. accessible and. They're very accessible, yes. And not all skulls are made the same, like, quality-wise as well. Right. Um, so it's not always as um, organic, especially if you're f- focusing on, on people. They're not as organically shaped as they should be. Sometimes you get sort of generic skulls. Yeah, I'm not really ready for a morning of skull shopping. I'm okay picking up some eggs, but I don't... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I am totally down for a morning of skull shopping. I love bones. <laughs> um, like I'm that I'm that weird girl. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> so I wanted to, um, I guess, end with uh, directing people as to where they can find you. Obviously, Instagram we talked about. Yes. And your uh, your account is SM Lacey on Instagram. I'll provide a link yep. in the show notes. And uh, and then my website, which is smlaceyart.com. Okay. And I have a newsletter on there, which I recommend subscribing to, because uh, that's where I talk a lot more about kind of how my art is made and the process behind it and the stories behind the work, uh, more than I'm kind of able to do on social media. Yeah, I've received, I think, one of your newsletters because I just subscribed recently and it is well done. Thank you. So it's kind of my model and how I'm trying to generate a newsletter and produce newsletters. So I would recommend people subscribing to that. Thank you. So I want to thank you, Sarah, so much for putting aside the time and being so open with everything that you've done and you've gone through and sharing these stories with the listener. And uh, I really appreciate your time. This has been fantastic. I've learned so much and I'm going to go kind of draw some eggs, I think. <laughs> so... <laughs> Excellent. This is thank you for inviting me. This has been such a pleasure. I love these kinds of conversations. It's my favorite topic. Talking about art for a couple hours. That is my idea of an afternoon well spent. So thank you so much. And you had excellent questions. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Stay safe. Yeah, you too. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Show notes, including links to everything Sarah and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash forty five. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and rate the show and provide a review that will help others discover the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to one another and keep drawing. The music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod. 